I'm Matt Quinn. Thanks for joining us for Decision Point from Ivy Publishing at the Ivy Business School. Today, we return to another award-winning and best-selling case, Apple Inc., Managing a Global Supply Chain. Originally published in 2014, author and professor Fraser Johnson from the Ivy Business School presents a snapshot of Apple up against competitors such as BlackBerry and Samsung. Unlike other companies with leading supply chains, such as Walmart, Apple's approach to supply chain strategy and supplier management had it investing far less in assets to support distribution. Instead, the company is now famous for its focus on innovation, new product development, and brand management. In this episode, we ask Professor Johnson about how Apple was able to use its business model and supply chain strategy to help it continue capturing significant value from hardware sales. We also take a look at the updated 2020 case and the increased complexity for Apple as it continues to add services and products to compete in the mature smartphone market. I hope you enjoy today's episode. So, Fraser, thanks very much for joining us today. Apple was a really different company in 2014. What prompted you to write the case then? And how have you taught it? What's changed as you've taught it throughout the years? Well, Apple is a fascinating company. Um, you know, a lot of the cases that are done in the supply chain area tend to be with traditional manufacturing companies like Toyota or large retailers like Walmart. And one of the things that really interested me about Apple was their business model with the iPhone with these uh, annual product introductions with big spikes in demand? And exactly how were they able to get their supply chain organized to be able to meet these big peaks in demand that they were facing? So the great thing about cases is it puts the student in the seat of a, of a protagonist. This particular case examines Apple from the perspective of Jessica Grant. She's an analyst with a Toronto-based money management firm. You as an author did a great job of giving students a primer of how Apple was able to reach the margins with the iPhones uh, through supplier relationships and really tight coordination of the supply chain. Can you remind listeners What's at stake in the case for Apple when it was set in 2014? Well, Apple was one of the early innovators in the smartphone business. And if you take a look at what's happened to the company uh, over the last decade or so, uh, the iPhone is a way that Apple connects with their consumers. So as they do things like sell services to uh, individuals, really, you know, the analogy that I use in the teaching note is that the uh, iPhone represents the, uh, the, the razor uh, that they use to be able to sell the blades to the consumers. So as Apple looks to expand its market in the smartphone business, really what it does is give them a platform to be able to uh, uh, connect with their consumers. And from the student's perspective, you know, putting them in the role of the analyst in the case allows them to take a look at the entire business operation as opposed to taking the role of a functional executive with a specific functional related problem. So let's let's talk teaching notes for a second because you've you've written a lot of cases, many of them are bestsellers. Uh, let's dive into the teaching note part of this. In the teaching note, you mentioned flexibility as a as a key part of Apple's supplier management strategy. With recently Apple moving away from Intel processors and away from Samsung as a screen supplier, 
it seems that the company is really continuing to embrace this approach of uh, of flexibility. What do you see in the company? Uh, back in 2007, when Apple launched the iPhone, they basically outsourced everything. Mm. Uh, so to bring a iPhone to market, they had to work closely with their suppliers. And the other interesting part of this is the short product life cycle of the iPhone. They bring a new product out every year. And that was one of the it's one of the other important parts of the case. How do you work with suppliers where you're constantly launching and relaunching a new product every year and selling product in the, uh, in the millions? Um, so if you take a look at a company like Walmart, for example, uh, they practice everyday low pricing. So they try to minimize the bullwhip effect and provide stable demand so that they can work with their suppliers to reduce their total costs. Apple is the complete opposite. They embrace variability. Uh, they have, as I said earlier, these annual releases with huge product introductions with high volumes, and then volumes taper off slowly until they bring out a new product and repeat the process all over again. And so you've built this in these comparators in in, in the narratives. So one of the things that we know is important about the, the uptake of a case and the sales of a case is also the teaching note. And you write great teaching notes. You've mentioned Apple versus Walmart. What are some other things that you try to include in a teaching note to help a faculty member use it in the classroom? What are your keys to success? Well, you know, what you want as, a, as somebody writing a case is to have a teaching note that resonates with other instructors. So when I say resonates, it's got to be something that they can relate to. Uh, it doesn't want to be so complicated that when they read the case and then take a look at the teaching note, become intimidated uh, with the material that they see. Uh, they have to be able to understand it. They've got to be able to translate the material that you provide in the teaching note into a classroom setting. So being able to talk about the issues that uh, instructors face, including a teaching strategy, uh, appropriate questions to ask uh, as part of delivery of the material are all very important. The, the other thing that I think is important to recognize is that before the case is completed, you've also got to write the teaching note. So don't publish the case and then come back to the teaching note a month later or two months later. Write both documents simultaneously because you have to use your teaching note as a quality control check to make sure that there's enough information in the case for the students and the instructors to be able to complete the analysis properly. And I know something you've done and, and our other colleagues have done is wait to finalize that teaching note, if you will, until you've taught it a couple times and see how certain questions go, or there might be some new information that comes out that you can include. So I know you've done that a few times as well, right? Yeah, for, for many of the cases that I've written, I will go back to uh, the great staff at Ivy Publishing and make revisions to the teaching note and perhaps to the case, I'm talking about minor edits, uh, to make, in case uh, issues have come up in the class discussion, and I can help clarify the case by making qualifying statements on it. Uh, sometimes when you write a case, even with the editing process that you go through, uh, sometimes students don't always interpret the information uh, properly. So it gives mm. me a chance to be able to go back in and, you know, adjust a couple of sentences, uh, put notes in to clarify what certain pieces of data mean, for example. 
One of the tips that you gave is to try to not make things overly complicated. Uh, at the time of the case, there was a lot happening at uh, at Apple with the 5C being released. Profit margins were down slightly from you know 2009 to 2011. What do you think of and consider as you're writing a case to maintain that focus without you know, there's a lot that you can put in a case. How do you remain so focused as an author? Well, you know, I think that uh, you, you write a case in a particular point of time. And as you, as you say, you know, a lot has happened at Apple in the last decade uh, or I guess 13 years since they brought out the first iPhone. And, you know, the way that I view a lot of cases, you know, like my one on Apple, my other cases on uh, Walmart and Amazon is that they're almost live cases mm. in the sense that, you know, I keep track of what's going on in these organizations, uh, you know, throughout the year before I teach the case uh, so that we can use the information in the case as kind of a launching board. But we can also, I can also incorporate through the introduction of PowerPoint slides, for example, and other information in terms of more recent developments. In the case of, you know, Apple, you see them, you know, for example, insourcing more product, uh, buying the chip division from Intel. Uh, and, moving more to an insourcing mode as opposed to an outsourcing mode. And that's the kind of stuff that you can incorporate into the class discussion. You've mentioned that uh, you've released an, an updated case, which is great. We encourage faculty to do that and authors to do that. We, we welcome that. And it's a smart thing to do because uh, the cases evolve, the companies evolve, and the situations and the environment that the businesses work in evolve as well. Could you talk a little bit about the new case uh, and the new complexities for Apple as we sit here in 2020? I wrote the uh, first Apple case, as you stated earlier, in 2014. And if you take a look at what was happening to Apple at that point, the sales for iPhones were on the upswing. And, you know, if Apple had a problem at that point, it was uh, simply keeping up with demand. Now, if you take a look at what's happening in 2020, uh, the situation that the company faces and the challenges for its supply chain are a lot different. As we talked about earlier, uh, it's more moved to more of an insourcing model. On the other side of it, sales of the iPhone are now starting to flatten out and the smartphone market is starting to mature. So we've seen back in 2014, Apple competing in an environment where the market's growing, margins are pretty healthy, uh, and it's having trouble keeping up with demand in 2020, where you're facing consecutive years of sales declines of the iPhone in a maturing market uh, with a lot of price pressure on uh, margins. The other thing that you see with Apple in 2020 compared to 2014 is an increased emphasis on services. So one of the things that we can talk about in the new case is you know, how does Apple manage its services supply chain? So it really gives you a double edge. On one side, we can talk about changes to the iPhone and what Apple does to manage its iPhone successfully, but also how do they use the iPhone uh, in terms of its relationships and connectivity with its customers uh, as part of its services supply chain? I've mentioned before how popular this case is. It's It's been uh, climbing up the bestseller list for years. Why do you think that is? It, is it the brand? Is it because the student can hold this thing in their hands and have a relation with uh, with 
the company? What do you think has made it so popular? You know, I like to say cases like this teach themselves. Uh, and, you know, it's an overused line maybe in uh, some areas, but students are familiar with the company. Uh, instructors are familiar with the company. The brand is strong. Uh, even students that uh, don't necessarily uh, get excited about coming to class and talking in a case discussion uh, do like the technology companies. And I think there's something in the case uh, for people that most people, particularly students, can relate to in terms of the technology and how they use their iPhones. And even the debate among the students in the class, among the iPhone users versus the non-iPhone users. So every time I teach the case, I ask, you know, who's using Apple products and iPhones included and who's not using them? And why is that? You know, why do you like Apple? Why do you use their products? You know, on the other end of the spectrum, who are the anti-Apple people? Uh, mm -hmm. And why have they made a conscious decision not to participate in what I call in my new case, the Apple e ecosystem? Uh, and that kind of allows us to talk about the company strategy, uh, which then evolves into a further, more detailed discussion about how they're able to support that strategy with their supply chain capabilities. Yeah, it's very accessible uh, for for students of, of many undergrad students, grad students, high school students. Can They can all take a different approach with it, but Apple as a company is pretty uh, accessible. Have there been any challenges or surprises when you've taught this where you go, oh, that's a different perspective, or I have to remember to include that in my next version of the case? Anything that comes to mind? The major event for me was in 2019 as I was teaching the case in my supply chain management elective. And, you know, as I'm standing up in front of the class talking about what's happening with the company in 2019, uh, about exactly how much had changed at, at Apple. Mm. And, you know, that point, you know, after I, as I do after every class, I make notes to myself in terms of things that I want to remember for the following year. I made the decision that I'd commit the time to updating the case and uh, writing and ended up doing that, writing the case this year. Uh, so to me, you know, when you deal with cases like Apple, uh, you know, a lot of the changes and things that happen both in the classroom as a result of what happens at the company and as part of your preparation in terms of teaching the case is kind of, of uh, evolutionary as opposed to revolutionary. Yeah. Uh, but eventually, you know, with companies like this, you do reach a point where you've got to uh, think about uh, revising the product. And that's one one thing I want to give as a as a really good tip, and I don't want to overlook this. I'm just looking at some notes I've got here. Is that the importance of immediately after the class taking down notes as a, as an instructor who's either taught this case a number of times or just new to it? Uh, all the great case teachers that I've seen make a point immediately, even at the breaks, of writing down some notes about ways it could be done differently or different things to approach or something that didn't go so well. So I want to make sure that if we hit that point uh, for those that are listening, because that's such a great tip that I don't want to overlook. Is there anything else that you make a point of doing uh, right before class or during a break or right after the class as a, as a process for case teaching? 
Yeah, you know, I think that, um, and this is maybe a minor point, but I think a relevant one, I think regardless of, of how many times you've taught a case, and regardless of whether or not you're the one that wrote the case, and sometimes I think people that write cases can be too overconfident in terms of their level of understanding with the material, uh, to invest the time uh, before class to get ready, you know, regard regardless of how many times you've taught the case. So don't just pick the file up and walk into class. Remind yourself about the essential details of the case and the case facts. And think about how you're going to manage the conversation with the students. And as I said earlier, the debrief after class, every time I teach a case, I sit in my office after class and make notes to my on the front of my teaching plan in terms of things that I would adjust or do differently or things that I want to remind myself worked well and to do. And that rigor pays off because I've seen you teach. You've been, welcomed a lot of our uh, team members from Ivy Publishing to watch you teach. So I've seen it uh, at work. As we wrap up today on the discussion, I want to come back to the writing of cases. Uh, do you have anything that stands out to you that you wish somebody had told you when you were just uh, starting to write cases uh, any any tips for new case writers as they venture down this road? You know, I, I, I think that, um, you know, as a new faculty member, writing cases is a, is a great way to, first of all, learn about management practice. And if you're writing uh, field cases, uh, working with companies in terms of material or case development, it gives you a chance to be able to talk to managers about some of the issues that they're facing and it keeps you current. And, you know, being able to, and, and you can do that through your research, certainly, uh, but writing cases is another way to be able to stay in touch with what's going on in terms of management practice. The second point is that writing cases helps you establish credibility with your students. Students pay attention to the material that's being used in terms of the case studies. And if your name's on the author list of the case study that they're using, it tells the students that, you know, you're doing work in this area, because chances are they're probably not reading your research, and helps establish some credibility in terms of your familiarity with the subject matter and the material that you're using in class. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, Fraser, for taking the time to, to speak with us. And moreover, working with our team on publishing cases and, and bringing cases to the class. I know when we get a submission from you, uh, our team always enjoys the process. So thank you for that as well. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the great job that everybody at Ivy Publishing does in supporting the work that uh, the faculty uh, does in terms of writing and publishing cases. If you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Decision Point on Spotify or wherever you listen. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to cases, resources, and more. Have any feedback? Send us an email at cases at ivy.ca.